The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League. Chelsea take the bus, Villarreal, Atleti and Benfica all park it. Atleti are finding the net then just time-wasting like Tim Berners-Lee after Twitter came. We talk the midweek games, the title race, it's just one point and check out the FA Cup quarterfinals with Liverpool facing the Forest Folk and Chelsea somewhat wilder. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday, the 17th of March. Hello to you, listener. Joined today on Totally by Colin Miller and Duncan Alexander and also Sasha Gurinov, fresh from taking the bins out, Sasha. <laughs> take, take, taking the rubbish out of the Emirates, yes. Ah, right. You actually went along. You weren't on waste duty Wednesday night. Yeah, I saw Liverpool lay waste to Arsenal, yes. Nice. Right, although perhaps an unfair appraisal of what was, to begin with at least, quite an evenly balanced affair, but uh, all of that had come. Uh, Colin, do you have a good midweek? I had a busy midweek, uh, so much football on. There's so many so many different matches, so many different uh, competitions. It's, um, it's hard to keep on track of all of the all of the narratives, but uh, mm. no, it's very, very enjoyable. It's, it's that time of the season when things are, things are really starting to heat up. Yeah, exciting part of the story when you start to get some of the characters unmasked, some of the twists revealed, that kind of thing. Hey, Duncan, what twists caught your attention this week? Yeah, like Colin, it's quite hard to, uh, you know, to keep up in a sense. The the conspiracy theory that you can't have Premier League games on the same night as Champions League, I think, has right. been shattered for good. Shattered. But I enjoyed Harry Kane becoming the top scorer with his weaker, or joint top scorer with his weak, weaker foot in Premier League history, mm. but um, tucked away on the south coast where no one really noticed. All right, you noticed, Duncan. I did. All right, well, Champions League, for some, dominated the attention. The scores, Atletico put uh, Man United's last trophy hoops to bed. Tuesday at Old Trafford with a classic Simeone 1-0 win, easing up the clock. Some felt like James Horncastle on a question about Spurs managers. That night, Benfica with a similar tactical approach as they won 1-0 in Amsterdam against the much-fated Ajax. Wednesday, Juventus... Lost 3-0 at home to Villarreal. Woof. Hitchhiking's Chelsea FC, meanwhile, had a bit of a scare at the Pierre Mourois, but ran out 2-1 winners, 4-1 on aggregate. So that was all right. The draw for the quarterfinals is on Friday, and it features those victorious sides, plus Liverpool, Real Madrid, Man City and Bayern Munich. That makes ooh, one, two, three, three Premier League sides in the last eight, and three Spanish teams as well. Yeah, um, it's it's one of those things where where we've kind of almost accepted the fact that La Liga has been on a a bit of a decline maybe the past couple of years, whereby the Spanish side's dominance in Europe isn't quite what it was certainly during the, the sort of mid twenty tens. But but I think this season's maybe. Maybe a bit of an answer to that again, because whilst there's no outstanding teams within La Liga who you kind of think who are at the level of City or a Liverpool or even a Bayern Munich, there are a lot of teams who are very difficult to beat, especially with two legs. They're very well coached. And I think we've seen that quite a lot this week, especially with mm. what Atletico Madrid did to Man United, what Villarreal did to Juventus. I think that was all that was quite similar, just in, in, in terms of how they manage these ties. They're, they're, they're very good knockout coaches. And whilst... You don't look at those teams and necessarily think, oh, 
you know, these are the competition favourites. I'm not sure anybody particularly will fancy playing them over the course of two legs. And those, those are the sorts of games that really take it out of you as well, you know, um, especially whenever maybe you're a Liverpool or a City and you're thinking, we don't want to have games that are particularly grueling in the midst of this title race. But right. if, you, if you're playing those teams in Europe, it's, it's going to be tough. And I think Friday's draw could have a big impact in the, in the title races everywhere. Well, indeed, because the first and second legs of the quarterfinals, I believe, are either side of Man City and Liverpool's meeting at the Etihad. There's an outside possibility that it, Liverpool City could get drawn in the Champions League and the FA Cup semi-final, so there'd be four games in a row between them, which would be... Please, no. Would, would be, <laughs> Please too much. like, yeah, intense. So, I mean, it's a, it's unlikely, but it's possible. So, you know, baseball teams do it. Why can't Man City and Liverpool? <laughs> That's extraordinary. All right. Well, I mentioned three Premier League sides going through across the one that didn't, as usual, was Man United, which means, ta-da, it's time for our annual hand-wringing over Man United and they need to reboot, appoint a new manager, find a new match sponsor, Inquest. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Goal! That was a measured and understated response to Atletico Madrid's 1-0 victory over Man United at Old Trafford. 2-1 on aggregate. And, well, first off, classic Simeone performance, would you say, Colin? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think what Atletico Madrid did here was they got back to what they do best, which is the basics of football. And, and there's nobody better doing the basics of football and the basics of... Uh, underhand tactics and infuriating <laughs> way of playing than Diego Simeone and and, mm. and that, that's that's that that sounds like a slight that sounds like a criticism but it kind of does when you say underhand yeah well well yeah but but I think I think that's what that's what they do best they they identified I think that the referee in this game could be swayed by how players react to decisions and they're streetwise they do it better than anybody else and if you contrast that to Man United's players they they lost their heads in the game they got frustrated. They they lost they lost their their sort of calm and composure after quite a good start as well. They Man United mm. were on top for the opening twenty or twenty five minutes, but when that goal didn't come, they they began to get frustrated, and, and you could see that. And what Atletico Madrid did was was essentially exploit Man United's weaknesses, exploit the small things in the game, and that that was that was more than enough to win. And they were deserving winners, of course, over the two legs. And there's been a lot of criticism of of Atleti this year. In terms of they 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 won the title obviously last year and this season they they haven't been in the top four until earlier this month so they've had a real drop off in results but if you actually look at the underlying numbers in their play essentially it's down to three things first of all goalkeeper Jano Black has had this huge kind of uh, alarming almost decline from being arguably the world's best goalkeeper into being quite error prone and and the, 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 the making mistakes with his positioning with his shot stopping there's been individual mistakes in defence. And then obviously last season was all about Luis Suarez and his sort of uh, redemption story um, and his revenge for Barcelona letting him go when he fires Atleti to the title. This season his his sort of age and mobility, maybe a couple of fitness issues are starting to catch up with him. So they've lost those those sort of killer instincts at both ends of the pitch. But their actual in-game numbers, their underlying data, the XG, all that stuff has actually not been too dissimilar 
to last season. So we, we, we're kind of defining Atleti by the results that they've had rather mm. than specifically the team dynamics and the way they've played. And I, I think you could see that you could see that coming to, to a head this, this week in terms of they've, they've won four La Liga games in a row and obviously now they're through to the Champions League quarterfinals. And you've got to say that outside of, of, of course, retaining their league title, this, this could still represent a very good campaign for them overall. Absolutely. All right. For, for United, from that perspective, beaten by a Spanish champion side that is now recovering its, its form, is it as bad as all the reaction has been suggesting? Had it not been for Jan Oblak's face, might they not have been in an entirely different conversation today? Well, I, I think United have certainly turned, turned into world champions of moaning. I don't really think Atleti um, did anything particularly drastic mm. by Atleti standards. I thought they who were did, like pretty just standard. A, who, who have they taken that title from, Sasha? It wouldn't be, no, but, wouldn't be Liverpool. Uh, no, as players on the pitch. No, Liverpool haven't been moaning as much oh, okay. on, on the pitch. In the very I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the players themselves All right, in right. the games. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at Bruno Fernandes, you look at Ronaldo, mm-hmm. you look like at the body language of those players on the pitch. And I, I don't think, I, I, as I said, I, I don't think Atletico did anything that was too Atletico. I think it was a fairly standard performance. Mm. They're quite solid. I, th- I do think that Oblak's, uh, this was uh, f- like from what I can remember, possibly Oblak's best game of the season and Simeone was praising him afterwards. And I thought um, there was a particularly awkward shot just before halftime from Bruno Fernandes where he had to readjust and he did very, very well. And I think it gave him a bit of uh, extra confidence. But I, I, I think Atletico also had spells earlier in the season against Liverpool, so they certainly have it in them. But the way that United crumbled mentally was quite bad. And also the whole build-up to the goal I mean, it took like about a minute to get from the foul to the actual goal, at which stage they gradually lost their shape. But also with the goal as well, I don't think Lodi gets enough um, praise for his header. He mm. shaped up to grow across the goal. Everybody thought, like, I thought he's definitely going across the goal. He went near post readjusting. And I know he had a lot of time, and I think the fullback wasn't there. But I thought the goal itself was very, very well taken. Um, so I think, I think United, apart from losing all of their style, I don't think there's any sort of... Re- I mean, you couldn't really say how United play these days. And they came up against a team that is kind of rediscovering its style. So the outcome was was fairly logical. I just think what Sasha is saying is very relevant in terms of the fact that Atletico Madrid have had Diego Simeone in charge for for over a decade. Every single player in that team is a Diego Simeone player. They're in the Diego Simeone mould. And you contrast that with United, who ended the game with players signed by four different managers. And that's not including Louis van Gaal's spell, with Luke Shaw would have been in, but he's obviously got injured. So that's so you've essentially got a squad of five different managers, five different ideas, who are being coached by Ralph Ranić, who hasn't signed any of them and who's only in charge until the end of the season. Nobody knows who the next manager is going to be. Nobody knows what role Ranić is going to have next season. Nobody knows who's going to who's who's even really in charge of appointing the next manager, of who's really in charge of making all these decisions. And so nobody really seems to know anything about the future of the club or, or, or where it's going, including a lot of the players who are out of contract. So you just contrast that sort of the stability and the togetherness of pulling in one direction at one club with the with the lack and the, the absence of any of that at United? I mean, it's been a long time coming. And we and as you said earlier, James, we, we do this annually now, this this time of the year. It's Always with the Spanish side as well. Yeah, often, yeah. And it, it's, like Colin was saying, like, they do need a reboot, but they they keep messing it up and they keep groundhog daying back to the same point. I mean, I think we can officially call the Ronaldo and Messi era over now. That's my... 
that's my shout because this is going to be the first time since 2005 or six that neither of those players are going to score in the um, in the knockout stages of the Champions League. So wow. you know, oh six oh seven to 2021 is a is a pretty good stint. But I think you know this was only the third Champions League game ever that Ronaldo didn't have a single shot in, and you know they're paying him a lot of money to to come and make the difference in these sort of games. And as we know, he's got a very good record against uh, Atletico. So yeah, it was just a complete yet again damp squib of a performance uh, for Manchester United. When is the Man United crashing out of the Champions League to Spanish opposition era uh, going to end? What do they need to do? I mean, they have changed the manager repeatedly. They've signed all the players that people felt they needed to sign, with the possible exception of a defensive midfielder. Short of urinating at the four corner flags, what, what, what should they be doing over the summer? I think it feels like as Colin said, you know, five different managers signing all these players, rip the whole thing up, sell everybody, start anew, because they keep on trying to increment yeah. on what's been there well, before. And that leads to, like, it leads to complete garbled style. If you think about it, Ranić is kind of like uh, a powerless Gerard Houllier, uh, you know, at Liverpool. Houllier came in in the sense of, and did rip it up and was given time to kind of finally end that kind of obsession with the pass and the boot room. And, and United need that. And we saw in the post-game that even... You know, some of the pundits were saying they need to bring back players who know the club and who understand the club. And you, you don't. You need to kind of, you need you. to completely restart. Um, but it, it's hard to do that. But I think this summer does represent a reasonable chance, given the amount of players that are out of contract and others that they can move on as well. But it's got to be someone that's powerful enough to do that, and mm. that's well, difficult. They've signed players before. Rob Dawson pointing out that Man United's gross transfer spender—we all love these numbers. It's 1.4 billion over the last 10 years, a period in which they've won two Champions League knockout ties. Hmm. Duncan Alexander pointing out that the last opposition manager to witness Man United reaching a Champions League final is, Duncan? Uh, Ralph Ranić, yeah, in uh, 2011. Hmm. One other general point about the, this week was that all four... Champions League games saw the away team win hmm. um, and particularly on Tuesday night you know United 1-1 at Atletico and Ajax 2-2 away in Benfica that, they would have been very good results with the away goals rule but I think it did change how Benfica and Atletico were able to approach the games They, in the old days they would have had to score in the, those matches but they didn't in these and I think that did allow them both to sort of sit back a bit and, and kind of assess the match uh, which I thought was quite interesting Alright because there were a lot of people not in favour of that rule change about the away goals. Do you reckon that this week represented a more positive view of it? Well, I think one of the fears was that we'd get more games going to penalty shootouts, which, right. which hasn't been the case so far. Mm. So, yeah, I think it, it's probably a bit early to tell completely, but we'll see what happens in the quarterfinals where presumably the matches will be a bit closer, closer matched. So instead, the second legs ended up being very defensive performances by the teams who technically needed results. Has the mm. whole away goal rules thing have been turned upside down and said? Because I mean, if you look at Benfica, Benfica just sat, as you said, just literally sat back at one shot, uh, mm. which was the goal waited for an error. Villarreal uh, was a very European performance by Villarreal. Mm. No shots on target, until, well, three shots on target at the end, which, which all led to goals. And then three the, shots, two of which were penalties. Yeah, exactly. And the the, 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 the first thing, the useful thing that they did was with 15 minutes to go, and um, at the end, Atletico, I think, three shots on target at all. So. Um, maybe the way goals rules has changed the mentality so much that the second legs are now afforded to be really, really negative. I had a, a slightly uh, cynical view of the uh, away goals rule um, being uh, removed is that it does open the door to matches being played at neutral venues 
and matches being played away from the home grounds of the teams in future. And that's something that I had heard whenever, uh, as speculation, whenever the rule was introduced. And the more I think about it, the more that might make sense. It was almost, what, four or five years ago now, whenever La Liga announced their deal with uh, the US company to sort of export occasional league matches away from Spain into the US. And that that never took off um, due to opposition from, from clubs, from, from other organisations. But it sort of laid the groundwork for these matches being exported. And we've seen it with so many Super Cups already across countries. I think it's mm. a real possibility. You reckon that Champions League knockout stages might be sold off to foreign foreign venues? Played on an oil rig in the middle of the Atlantic. <laughs> but if you think about it, in 2020, when they restarted the Champions League, they played it as a sort of mini tournament in Portugal. And I think I remember after afterwards saying, saying people deemed it a success and said, we, we might try and do that again in a few years. So yeah, I think Colin might be on to... Something. Well, they are talking Final Four, aren't they? Uh, as like maybe three matches uh, in the city, but I think that sort of leads to logistical difficulties and how they accommodate all, the, all these people. Uh, but these talks certainly have been taking place. So um, maybe, maybe we are heading towards what Colin is talking about, which then takes away those epic semifinals that we have seen over recent seasons. Just on the subject of Man United, by the way, uh, how much substance is there to these rumours that they want Thomas Tuchel and have a chance of getting him given the uncertainty at Chelsea, Colin, you you're on a proper newspaper job. I I don't I don't know the the, the validity of those reports, but right. it wouldn't surprise me because Thomas Tuchel is. I, I I think in terms in terms of realistic targets of whom of who could manage Manchester United, I think Thomas Tuchel would be at the top of the list. And I know Chelsea fans aren't going to like that; they're not going to like hearing that possibility, but. With so much uncertainty around around the club at the moment, you can't you really can't tell what's going to happen from one week to the next. And there's no we I think we we can we can be certain that Manchester United themselves are not a hundred percent set on any one coach at the minute. I think there's definitely a division within that that kind of group of of, of board directors in terms of the next step. So if Tuchel does become available, I think he could be he could be the person that, that kind of unites various camps and is seen as the pragmatic target who has already achieved uh, massively in English football. OK. Uh, Sasha, you had a shout-out for Renan Lodi with his first Champions League goal on his 25th appearance in the competition. Anybody else you want to highlight? I think the three centre-backs uh, played really well, uh, really kept United at an arm's length. Um, so I think... The defensive unit was very impressive, and they were just, um, yeah, and they, they they took the chance. Uh, so I, th- I think overall, let's let's give Simeone compliments, and also mm. you know he had to run away while being pelted with stuff. Oh yeah, uh, in enjoy to sit in the changing room, enjoy as he said, and uh, so he had a lovely evening. Mm. Well done, him. and Fred. We should mention Fred, who continued mm. his recent revelatory uh, form. Extraordinary stuff. Did a redondo style sort of turn near the mm. near the touchline. Very good. Did you know that today, the 17th of March, marks 19 years since the phrase squeaky bum time made its debut, entered our lexicon, coined by Sir Alex Ferguson, of course, as the title race with Arsenal, yes, kids, was reaching its uh, conclusion. Uh, It's now, though, believed, have some of this, it's now believed that Fergie never actually said squeaky bum time, which, to be fair, none of us never really understood what it meant. What is it about? Is it something to do with flatulence? Nobody's quite sure. Supposedly, 
Our old friend, the late, great Kevin Macara, was transcribing at a press conference. There'll be one designated writer who will transcribe what a manager or whoever the person on the podium is, is saying. And Kevin wrote down when Sir Alex Ferguson said, it's squeeze your bum time, squeaky bum time, and then handed it to all the other journos, the pool, and thus a legend was born. But I, I mean, squeeze your bum time would make more sense, would it not? Unless squeaky bum, unless you're like sitting in a chair and these are in is a squeaky chair or something. But yeah, but you're having to reach for, I mean, I think we have been for a, what is it now? 19 years we've been kind of... Well, I suppose he could have meant this, and everyone was too polite to ask. I assumed that it was some famous Gorbel's expression. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Anyway, there you go. Every day a school day at the Totally Football Show. Next up, hey, let's have a quick mention for some of those other games in the Champions League and also the midweek Premier League results. Hello again, listeners. It's Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power. And yes, I'm still floating about. Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea continue to be as competitive as they possibly can. And following getting the job done in midweek at Lille, they march on into a tough FA Cup tie against Middlesbrough at the Riverside Stadium this Saturday evening. Now, Chelsea, as we know, tried to get the game played behind closed doors. Nice try. But instead, Burr put an additional 3,200 tickets on sale after they were returned for the handcuffed and shackled Blues. Off the field, Tuchel has to field questions about extortionate travelling expenses. It's not about the luxury. And bling bling, the German barked. The beds in the Premier Inn are rock hard, but Tuchel must be praying the current mess gets sorted before the wheels start to come off further. On the field, promotion chasing Borough are somewhat of a testing draw. They've claimed the scalps of Man United and Spurs in the previous rounds and are sure to give it a good go. The Petty Power traders make Chelsea the favourites at 4-9. The draw is 16-5. And the Borough win is priced at 11-2. to 2. Maybe a bit of value there. Another market that looks a bit of value is Middlesbrough to qualify for the next round at 7-2. to 2. That includes, of course, extra time and pens. And if you fancy pigs to develop the ability to fly, Borough are a 50-1 to 1 shot to lift the FA Cup. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org and remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Top Old Trafford target Thomas Tuchel led his Chelsea team to a 2-1 victory at Lille. Oh, it looked like there was a cracking atmosphere there, Colin, at the Pierre Mourois, particularly when Burak Yilmaz brought the French champions back to within a goal. Yeah, everybody had sort of assumed this tie was done and dusted after the first leg. Chelsea were very dominant in that game, obviously two goal advantage. But yeah, Lille were really up for this and the, the, home, the home fans were fantastic. It was a raucous atmosphere and they were deservedly ahead after the penalty and Jorginho kind of made a bit of a blunder with the with, with the handball but he went he provided an absolutely delicious uh, assist for Christian Pulisic I don't know if you've seen this but the threaded ball through for him it was just it was just time to perfection of such a such a really well worked goal um but Chelsea were Chelsea Chelsea are on this run where they've won nine of their last 10 matches in all competitions but they in every game you kind of think oh this is this isn't a good performance they're, they're gonna slip up here and yet they they tend to grind out the results the only game they didn't win was the the league cup final against liverpool and that mm. could easily have gone either way too and and you just sort of think that they're in this 
they're in this run of form, this sort of mentality where they just do enough in every single game, and that makes them that makes them very dangerous in these competitions. And Thomas Tuchel is we spoke about him earlier with the United links. I mean, if you look at his cup competition record, it is incredible. He's he's reached the last seven cup competitions he's been in across PSG and Chelsea. He's reached at least the final in every single one of them, and that's including two Champions Leagues. And he could easily do the same now with the FA Cup and again with the Champions League. Obviously, they're in the quarterfinals of both. And you just look at that record and you think it's just such an astonishing record. He won the DFB Pokal with Dortmund as well. So this is a guy who, at every club and at every level, he, he knows how to navigate his way through these tournaments. And I think they were talking about in BT Sport after the game. And I think Joe Cole actually summed it up very well. He said, Thomas Tuchel, he just comes up with these clutch moments. He knows when to make the right substitutions, the right tactical tweaks. And again, we're talking about who 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 could United be looking at as a coach? I mean, this this is somebody who ticks pretty much every box, and it's he's just the ideal coach for any club. Yeah, let's see how he gets on at Old Trafford if he goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say though, for all his tactical genius, he nearly cocked this one up uh, with three centre mids. Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic, I thought they kind of got in each other's way. So therefore, the halftime switch when he put Mount on, he, I mean, he made the correction, you know, quickly enough for them to rescue the game. But I thought they were pretty dreadful in the first half. And talking of the timing of Jorginho's pass, also timing in terms of the game, because I thought Lille were flying and to get that sucker punch just, just before halftime. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that really took it out of them. But uh, but I think, I think also curiously, I think the best game they've played recently was the League Cup final against Liverpool, where I thought they were, they were a little bit unfortunate. But tactically, that game, they got the spot on throughout so yeah it, it is funny and this this glorified very expensively well formally assembled cup team but it's um i mean they're, they're in the quarterfinals now no one would, would want to play chelsea um they're i think one of the three favorites with liverpool and manchester city uh, and possibly Bayern. um and but it, but I, th- I think i think with um with tuchel i think one good thing as well he has he's humble enough to admit when he's made mistakes he's humble enough you know if you interview him after the game if something hasn't gone quite right if if they were under the cosh if he couldn't influence something which i think possibly why his his team really responds to when he makes changes and what he needs from them mm. uh, which which i think is a great thing and i think also he is probably one of the few figures um, he is probably the figure in chelsea whose reputation hugely increased during the current crisis and I think this is also a good sign you know if United are looking at him club a lot of pressure a bit of a mess guy like this can't comes in he can deal I mean you look at him now he can possibly deal with any situation that mm. football and non-football can throw at, at him should just say it I'm sure Chelsea supporters will be feeling this too that there's every chance that the current uncertainty at Chelsea will be resolved quite soon and that Tuchel might decide that he I like to stay doing what he's he's doing there. How, by the way, how was their trip there in the end? After all, after all the drama about having to get on a grueling ten-hour bus ride and that. Can you just get to Eurostar? Yeah. Well, I, I was pleased to see Joe Cole as the pundit because obviously he played for Lille and mm. he um, he commuted via Eurostar. He must be the only player in football history that's gone to training underneath a major shipping channel. Um, <laughs> all right, gone to training by train. Yeah. Yeah, uh, interesting, interesting. So no details then on the trip, but you know they all made it. They're allowed to fly to Middlesbrough. Okay. Which I don't think any team should be flying internally in the in the UK to to games. You know, it was like, well, that's a relief that Chelsea can can fly to Middlesbrough. It's like, you know, when Kevin Keegan said they've still got to go to Middlesbrough and get something, I don't think he envisaged teams flying there, did he? So. Too easy, you feel, Duncan? It, 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 it's not that far away. It's quite it's a way, you know. Yeah, but 
Geographically, is Middlesbrough that much closer than Lille is? No, Middlesbrough further away further, than Lille. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go then. But there's a road, direct road, as it well, stands. There's also a railway line, which is way longer. It's much faster to go to northeast by train than by car. All right. In other news, midweek, Juve got put out by Villarreal, but somehow no great shock because this happens kind of every season with Juventus as well. Colin, you probably saw this, no? The uh, Juve, I wouldn't say all over, neither side was particularly pimpante, particularly sparkling in the first half, but Juve had all the chances until about, what, 20 minutes to go and then suddenly Villarreal, as you were saying, did the job on them, did the Italian job. Yeah, this this was a, a really odd tie in a way because because after the first leg, Juventus took the lead within what twenty seconds, uh, the Dusan Vlahovic goal, and you kind of thought as soon as that went in, you know, you know they've they've silenced the home crowd, you know, they can sort of kill this tie, and then there was. For that first leg, there was almost nothing from Juventus mm. after that. They led Villarreal back into the game. And then from last night, yeah, I mean, Juventus were on top. They were creating chances. Uh, Geronimo Rulli, the, the Villarreal goalkeeper, made a series of good saves. Nothing particularly outstanding. But you, you kind of just, you always feel with Villarreal that, that they are always in the game. And they all, they're, they're always giving themselves a chance. And... To, to win 3-0 is obviously hugely uh, unrepresentative of, of the actual state, state of the game itself. It was 0-0 with 12 minutes to go. But for Juventus, as you say, James, it's the it's the same story season after season now um, in terms of falling short, essentially at the round of 16 stage. And you do look at the sides who've eliminated them. It's Ajax, it's um, it's Porto last year, it was Leon the year before mm. that. And now it's, um, now it's Villarreal. You know, these, these are all teams who who in terms of their, their sort of status certainly at this stage of the competition might not be the highest and Juventus are just they, they really seem to have lost their way quite badly in recent years but let's let's give credit to Villarreal as well mm. because you know I Emery earlier in the season of course he had pretty much agreed to become the new Newcastle manager to replace Steve Bruce and that eventually broke down whenever the club essentially didn't allow him to go and he's he had only won three of the first 15 matches in La Liga this season. They they only just about scraped through that group whenever they, they lost both games to Man United. So they there was a real there's a real element that they that they were under pressure. They were massively underachieving this year. And if you look at La Liga, they, they are still seventh in the table. And if you look at the, the amount of money they have spent, I think this is a, this is a Villarreal team who could potentially be challenging for the title. And to be outside the top four I think it's is a, is a is a real underachievement for them. So I'm not overly surprised to see them advance uh to the quarterfinals. But it was Emery's first ever uh knockout victory in the in the Champions League, which is actually remarkable when you think that this is a guy who has won four Europa League titles and right. he also because well, really he's been busy in the other competition, no? Yeah, well yeah, of course, but he but then you can kind of explain that by thinking, well, he also was managing PSG, so I don't think you can really judge him too much on the on the feelings in that at that time ah. too. So in a way, I am glad for him because this is a guy who, who as we all know from his time at Arsenal, he was kind of widely almost I wouldn't say mocked, but he was certainly undermined by mm. um, pretty big sections of the media. And this is a guy who's a very good coach. There you go. As for the Italians, no representatives in the quarterfinals, and next week they've got the World Cup qualifying playoffs. So. Could be a very dark April indeed uh, for them. Uh, And the other game, and it was a huge result this, possibly the biggest upset of the week. No, definitely the biggest upset of the week, was Benfica 
going to Amsterdam, having first of all held Ajax to a 2-2 draw in the first leg, which came as a bit of a shot, but then beating them 1-0 in the Netherlands to go through to the quarterfinals. Crikey. Yeah, it was uh, quite a contrast to the first leg, which was uh, a much more open affair. Um, in the first leg, I think if, if people remember, you know, Ajax uh, should have been 4-1 up. They were absolutely destroying Benfica, uh, who were countering well with Rafa Silva, but they shouldn't have been in the game. It was a goalkeeping mistake that let them back in. And I think... It's a, go- yeah, it's a goalkeeping mistake that helped him again here. I mean, Pasvier, I think, in that game in Lisbon, I think he broke his finger. So Andre Onana made his return from number two. And I was looking at also at how he's been playing in the league. He looks like a fellow who hasn't played for a year. Uh, very sort of tentative, comes and doesn't come for corners. Um, he's been conceding a lot of goals in the league against the likes of Cambur, Valvik and go-ahead Eagles. So it's not big teams. Um, and I think this particular mistake was textbook because he seems to have lost their judgment and, you know, went to come for these crosses. And I think we saw these mistakes at the Africa Cup of Nations as well. Uh, so I think I think it's a shame. I mean, he's 25, but he sort of needs to regain his composure because he was being kept out of, a, out of this side by a 38-year-old. He comes in, he loses them this tie. Uh, Benfica, I mean, I think they played really efficiently because I think across the two legs, how many shots did they have? Um, and it's, a, it's a handful. And here, they, they scored with their only chance. And also, I think if you look at this Benfica team, I mean, Adel Terrapt in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Tell QPR fans. Vertonghen, um, hmm. Otamendi. Um, you know, these are guys who basically, not that have gone into same retirement, but they were not of Premier League level anymore. So I think if you look at Premier League, uh, at Benfica, and you have Nunez, obviously, is a top scorer, but I think teams would be looking at this Benfica team thinking like, yeah, well, let's, let's draw these guys. Everton in the quarterfinals as well, which is not something most people predicted. <laughs> I fully agree with Sasha's analysis and that Benfica are, are absolutely the, the, the rank outsiders at this point. You look at the Portuguese league table, they're, they're, they're miles off. They're miles off the title race. They're 12 points off Porto. And this, this is a, it's a really funny thing because in this game, everybody was talking about Ten Hag, obviously, is this sort of, is this his, sort of his test for the, for the Man United job. And uh, Sasha sort of alluded to that. Sasha sort of alluded to. I think that they almost threw this tie away in the first leg. Whenever you know to take the lead twice and then and then to blow that twice because in this game it was just constant Ajax pressure. They 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 were pretty much playing against a really deep lying um, block from Benfica. They they were very conservative. Benfica had no intention of 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 being expansive at all in this match. It was only ever going to be a set piece. That they scored from, so the result, yes, it's it's not representative of how the game went played out. Ajax would have won that probably nine times out of ten, and they did play quite well. But again, it probably did show a little bit of the limitations of that of that style of play in the sense that without that real sort of elite European quality up front, if you are playing against such a such a conservative team, you can become frustrated, and it's just it's just what happens in knockout football. I don't think there should be any particular judgment made on Ten Hag or or Ajax in general after this. You look at their record going into this game: twenty one goals in seven Champions League matches, and they were scoring at least twice mm. in every single game. So I think this was just a bit of an outlier in that sense. Next up today, let's check out what happened midweek in the Premier League. Cheltenham 2022 is underway, and we've already seen some cracking contests in the Cotswolds. Not to mention the biggest influx of Irish since London in the 1980s. They're here, and they're making a big deal about the greatest rivalry Britain's never heard of. So, as the British trainers aim to put the Irish trainers back in their little green horse boxes, here at Paddy Power, we're turning up the generosity every day at Cheltenham. Like a completely free £5 bet on any race on day three of the festival. Paddy Power. Max free bet £5 per customer. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gamble aware.org. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. And Liverpool come again, as Saka fails to clear it away. Robinson's picked his pocket. Robinson's ball in, Firmino will score! Brilliant finish! Roberto Firmino with the touch, and he hurdles over the advertising board, and he runs to celebrate with the Liverpool fans. So, Monday night at Selhurst Park, City drew 0-0 with Crystal Palace, and then Wednesday night... Slightly further to the north at the Emirates, Liverpool beat Arsenal 2-0, which means there's only one point between Liverpool, who Sasha has already revealed will win the title this year, and the leaders and defending champions, Manchester City. Sasha, you were there at the Emirates on Wednesday. Yeah, it was it was miserable for, for 45 minutes. Um, I went to Brighton on Saturday, beautiful sunny day, spring, the day. Yesterday, raining all day. We got there, got rained on in the first half as well. Uh, Liverpool Liverpool weren't, weren't the sharpest in the first half. Uh, I thought Arsenal were basically the better team, asked the questions of the full-backs. Uh, but I think this Liverpool now have enough of a depth of squad to make radical changes. And I think this is, this is the huge difference to Liverpool of previous years. So I th- there was a feeling this couldn't continue in the second half because... I think the forward line didn't move very smartly and it kind of stagnated the way Liverpool were building up. Um, and what happened early in the second half, even, I mean, Jota was coming off anyway, but then you had now, Liverpool now have the luxury of five, not equivalent forwards, but five interchangeable forwards, if you like. So they bring on Firmino, they bring on Salah, and Firmino comes on and he immediately shows, uh, you know, why he makes such a huge difference, even in this Liverpool lineup, because the movement improves the way he holds onto the ball. The deft flick for the goal as well. Not many players in that Liverpool team can do that. And mm. just sort of the deftness of touch um, that Liverpool suddenly obtained. And also you have Salah coming on and you could see that, um, I think it was particularly visible for the second goal. There was a build-up of Liverpool pressure. This is something that Liverpool do. This is something that Liverpool did around this hour mark against uh, Brighton on, on uh, Saturday as well. And at some stage, you know, the dam bursts. And, you know, in this particular case, I think Arsenal played played well. Uh, but also for Arsenal, this was a bit of a free hit of the game because, I mean, if you look at their approach, as Charlie Eccleshare managed on the previous pod, beat the other teams against the top six, it doesn't really matter. Um, and it's not going to be those results that decide their season. It's going to be the results against the rest of the league. I think it's a very smart approach by Arteta. Having said that, you can see that this season against the likes of Manchester City, even against the likes of Liverpool, uh, they have been improving. Mm. Although it's now six games in a row that they haven't scored against Liverpool. Could have gone another way, though, had Alisson not made that save on mm-hmm. Odegaard. Had Aaron Ramsdale been a little bit stronger on Diego Jota's effort. I mean, this particular case, he lost his goal, I think, as the saying goes. I mean, that was a t- it was a terrible mistake. I don't think it was a particularly good finish. Uh, I think, like, I'm not a fan of Ramsdale. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of some goalkeepers. Um, and um, with Ramsdale, I think his technique is somewhat sloppy. Uh, and I think in this game as well, from the very first minute, you could see he was very, very jumpy. I think there was a couple of mistakes he made literally in the first minute. And throughout the game, I don't think he was particularly confident. He made the mistake for the goal. And as a contrast at the other end, Alisson, 
um, in a situation which was very reminiscent of the Gerard Henry goals of yester, yes, 2004 and 2006, uh, where you know, basically no look pass goes straight to Henry who scores. In this situation, you could see Alisson came out and Alisson did not commit. Alisson stayed on his feet. Therefore, he was able to make that save. A lot of goalkeepers will go down on the first one. Alisson manages to keep his balance and make that crucial save. Liverpool score, I think, four minutes later. And I think this is where the goalkeepers really do decide games for you. I think these these two results, the, the City City drop Palace, Liverpool win at Arsenal, I think it, it, it does show uh, the contrast between the two teams and that City... Uh, had control of the game. They they didn't play they didn't play poorly at all. They could easily have won that match. Um, but Pep Guardiola didn't make any changes during the game because he trusts entirely in this one system. This one system that almost always works didn't didn't quite happen on Monday. Whereas on Wednesday night with Liverpool, they had as, as Sasha says a, a really poor first half, first hour of the game where, where they were just off it. They just they just weren't on it. And then you can you can make the changes and you can you can really hit top gear very quickly from that. And I think that's maybe where Liverpool do differ from City, and that they they can sort of vary quite a lot within the game and within periods of the game. But the question I wanted to put to Sasha was that uh, Jimmy Carragher after the match last night said that for the first time this season. He believes that Liverpool now have a real chance of winning this title, and you look at you look at the bookmakers' odds. City are still actually odds-on favourites. They're obviously still a point clear, and they are at home to Liverpool in that match. But did you get a sense last night that Liverpool fans, maybe for the first time, really, really do think this isn't just a possibility? Now there's a there's a really good chance of this. I f- I felt that psychologically last night was huge because for me, like in my little mind. It was almost like the title decider because yet again City slip up and yet again Liverpool win. Like and this sort of build up this relentless momentum. I thought the feeling from Liverpool fans um, after the game was certainly that. I mean, there was it was sheer jubilation. You could see players as well. I think they felt how big this result was. Personally, I, I do think this all has to do, or a lot of this has to do with the depth of the squad. And this is one of the reasons I thought Liverpool had a chance. But it's, uh, the piece of news that Javi, Javi Elliott was coming back in mid-January was when I clicked, ah, maybe they do have a chance here because there is suddenly those options because suddenly you have enough centre-backs to keep Joel Matip fit. Matip's played, I think, more games than he's ever played for Liverpool this season. They've been able to rotate him nicely with Konate. They're able to rotate the midfield. You know, Thiago gets injured uh, in the League Cup warm-up. They can put on Keita, who is now on the ball. They have the options up front. The feeling is they can they, they can manage their squad now through all of these games. I think Carragher is probably slightly superstitious himself and he tends to... Uh, on the negative side, I think, when discussing Liverpool. Uh, but, I mean, my, I, I thought there was a build-up of this momentum over the last couple of months. And I think yesterday in the end, you could feel this positivity. Also, I, th- I think on Saturday, you could feel this positivity as well. But that was a d- slightly different game. And because City f- slipped up, Liverpool had to win this one. And now it's all set up for this, this like, I, I know they talk about biggest games, blah, blah, blah. But I think this Liverpool visit to City is just like in almost now. Yeah, I mean, as a seasoned observer of title races, this one feels like it's just gone up to another level. And I think in certain kind of subtle ways, you saw Bernardo Silva after the game on Monday referencing Liverpool quite a lot, who they've got to play, where which you don't get that often. You got it in the sort of Keegan era, Newcastle, Man United. but And then again, after the game on Wednesday, the Robertson-Tiago were interviewed and both made some interesting points. You know, Robertson talked about Manchester City, which again has this kind of feeling of this title race pressure building and and Thiago said something he said um our pressures weren't as accurate as they should have been in the first half and I think that was quite telling because 
you know, you get a lot of teams now who, th- you know, Manchester United when Rangnick came in were like, we just need to do more pressures or pre- press the ball higher and etc. etc. But for a team as elite as Liverpool or Manchester City, it's not just doing that. It's about doing it in the right way at the right times. Um, and it's these, you know, tiny little percentages of difference that can affect a performance. And I thought the fact that the Liverpool were able to turn it around, which obviously was largely down to the substitutions they were able to make, as we've discussed, but also because they are operating at a, a very high level and a very good football team, they can make these switches mid-game and, and rescue massive games. Mm. Well, neither of the top two will be in action in the Premier League this weekend. They've got FA Cup fixtures instead. We'll be talking about that very shortly. Arsenal do go again, then, uh, appropriately enough, in a visit to Stevie G's Aston Villa. Also at the weekend, you've got Leicester playing Brentford. Wolves take on Leeds. And Spurs face West Ham. Spurs, who were also 2-0 winners midweek. At the Amex, continuing their remarkable bipolar season. Almost perfect stretch of alternating wins and losses, which is good news presumably for West Ham this weekend. Uh, This victory anyway, uh, courtesy of Christian Romero, who deflected Kulosowski's shot in for his first goal for Spurs. Harry Kane with the other goal. And as Duncan mentioned, he is now... Level in chocolate leg goal terms with Robin Van Persie. But also, oh, go on, Duncan, what's more? Well, also, he's now scored more Premier League away goals than mm. any other player. He's scored more Premier League away goals than 13 of the teams to play in it. He's <laughs> scored 200, 243 goals for Spurs, 121 home, 121 away, and one at a neutral stadium, which is, you know, there's a lot of players, Thierry Henry, Ryan Giggs and others, who have got good goal-scoring records, but the vast majority came in home games. So to basically be 50-50 is, is pretty impressive. Uh, West Ham at the weekend then. West Ham who beat Spurs 1-0 at the London Stadium. Uh, meanwhile, Brighton, what a strange season they're having. I mentioned the alternating fates and fortunes of Tottenham Hotspur, but Brighton had their longest ever run without a win in the Premier League. They followed that by their longest ever unbeaten run in the Premier League, and they've now... Followed that by putting together their longest ever losing streak in the division. Six losses in a row. Uh, Sasha? Yeah, I thought maybe cracks are beginning to appear against Spurs because a lot they were making a lot of mistakes throughout that game, uh, which I don't think they were making against Liverpool. And Liverpool against Liverpool, they, I think possibly the decision in the final third didn't help, but there was a fairly overall fairly competent performance. Whereas I think against... Um, Spurs, the, 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 it became increasingly more shambolic, um, which, which is possibly not a great sign. I mean, I think they're safe uh, in mid-table, um, but I think they need to get out of this rut because uh, it sometimes happens if a team kind of falls off towards the end of the season, that momentum is taken into the following season. It's very hard to recover from that. Um, also, doesn't look very good, you know, on Potter's body of work. So I think, like, lo- looking at it now, he, aside from the fact, okay, everyone's talking about them not having top forwards, even though Undav is coming from... Union saint gilloise for next season. Um, I think they just need to get the structure back um, in midfield. Maybe they need uh, midfield at the back. I think maybe they need to get Webster back. I do also think they need an upgrade of a goalkeeper for next season as well. Um, but yeah, overall, they just need to sort of steady the ship and just get into the 12th, 13th, just steer nicely towards the end of the season without this becoming too much of a crisis. Cracks appearing is the worst thing for Potter, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. All right, well, there you go. Brighton resting this weekend. Spurs do have the game against West Ham, who are in action also on Thursday night in the return leg of their Europa League tie against Sevilla. Sevilla 1-0 up. You probably know how that's gone 
listener. Also this weekend in the Premier League, Villa against Arsenal. Leicester with Brentford's first ever trip to the King Power because their last visit to Leicester was almost 30 years ago. That was back at Filbert Street. It was a nil-nil draw, since you ask. And Wolves-Leeds. Hmm. Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen, who's just had his call-up back to the Denmark squad. They've got friendlies against the Netherlands and Serbia coming up. All right, Sash. I'm just so happy that he makes he has actually made this impact that you kind of were hoping that he would make. Um, you know, that his crossing is basically leading to all these goals. His understanding with Tony. Tony now has a good supply uh, from midfield. I mean, his, his cross for the first Tony goal um, in the 2-0 win previous weekend was... It's just, it's just brilliantly swung in. Great technique. Also, he, it was he who played Tony in for the penalty. So they finally have got that brain in midfield that I think they, they required. I don't know how many more games they're going to win, but I think these two wins basically make them pretty much safe. Mm. Uh, but um, I think, I mean, looking at the way Ericsson is playing, I mean, he's, he was always quite, he comes across a slightly aloof character on the pitch. But I think in the way that this sort of Brentford spell is coming for him, I think he's really, really enjoying it. And he's really back enjoying playing. And I think... You could see the appreciation from the other Brentford players that, you know, they do have such a great player in their midst. And I think, yeah, I think he's helping them to maybe to lift the game as well. well and also they're playing Leicester, who are arguably the worst team at defending set pieces I've mm. ever seen. So, yeah, you know, yeah, actually, yeah. it could be carnage. I just wanted to make a quick point on the Aston Villa-Arsenal game. Uh, in that Arsenal, obviously, the, the loss against Liverpool, as Sasha said, was a, was a bit of a free hit. For them and you know you could see the togetherness and the unity even at the end of the game fans were still behind the team but this game against Villa they've lost this fixture in each of the last two seasons and if they were to to drop points in this game you sort of think is this is this maybe a bit of pressure starting to build on them because I think for the first time this season there is an expectation that they that they will now get that top four place and that they will continue going on this this run of form but Again, after this, they're away to Palace, which is another tough fixture. They still have to play Chelsea and United, and those games are back-to-back. They still have to play Tottenham. They still have to play West Ham. It's a tough running. And Mikel Arteta did say after the game last night, and obviously this is maybe a little bit of mind games, and he said that, you know, it's, it's ridiculous that we're playing on a Wednesday night and then on a Saturday lunchtime. And whilst that applied to the Liverpool Villa game it also applies to whenever they're playing Chelsea and then United uh, later on in the season and Arsenal have had this sort of this this run of games whereby they haven't had a secondary competition they haven't had the FA Cup they haven't been in Europe so they've been playing one game a week they've had this time to have this settled 11 to prepare thoroughly for every game and you can you can see that it's worked you know you can see that they've a really settled team and and the the, the preparations have, have paid off but is this going to be a case whereby maybe they're not used to this to this level of of, of intensity of games coming and it, it's going to be a really big test I think it's their biggest game of the season on Saturday against Fuller Wow biggest of the season yeah I think so because if they were to lose this there's, there's, there will be pressure there will yeah. be pressure for the first time and if they but if they're to win then you, you look at the table and think well you know they they, they really are in a almost almost unassailable position for the top four. It would really knock United's hopes, Spurs' hopes, and we'll both know they're inconsistent anyway. So if they have that points cushion, I think it might be enough, but I think in the so, back of their minds. So if they lost to Villa and Spurs beat West Ham, Spurs and Arsenal would be on the same points. Arsenal would still have one game in hand, but you know the, the advantage... It's the old games in hand thing, isn't it? It's easy to kind of go three games in hand, nine points, but other points totals are available. Yeah, as Charlie was pointing out on 
On Monday, the two remaining games in hand are away to Chelsea and away to Spurs. Dun, dun, dun. Wow, very interesting. There you go. That's the Premier League weekend. We'll be talking about what happens in it on Monday. Let's next up then on today's show, have a look at those FA Cup quarterfinals. The Race F1 podcast is now part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Formula One is becoming more popular than ever and attracting new audiences after last year's thrilling world championship fight between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And this year brings all new cars designed to completely different regulations conceived to make things even more exciting, creating closer racing and giving more teams and drivers the chance to be at the front. We'll be there every step of the way on the Race F1 podcast for this new era of Formula One, with podcasts released both on the night of the race and covering all the big news stories and talking points in between. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, or ad-free on The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Totally Football Show live is coming to a town near you if you live near Manchester. Uh, that's where we're going to be on the 19th of April at the Lowry. Head to thelowry.com for tickets. And we're heading to the Glee Club in Birmingham. Getting our Glee on on the 10th of May. Go to glee.co.uk to buy tickets. Or just listen to the Totally Football League show for free. That's out today, Thursday. Features that Matt Davis Adams will be with us in a second to talk about the FA Cup quarterfinals. It's a great draw, isn't it? Do you like the draw? Duncan, Sasha, Colin, 
big three all the way from home. You've got Forest and one of a handful of English fixtures that have also been played in the European Cup, taking on Liverpool. And when they knocked out Liverpool in 1978 from the European Cup, Asash? We hate Nottingham Forest, yes. We hate them, yes. All right. Um, well, you've got Borough against Chelsea, which is a repeat of the FA Cup final from 25 years ago. The Di Matteo goal. Ben Crystal... Roberts, Classico, yeah. The which, hey? Ben Roberts, one of the first goalkeepers to wear short sleeves in the English game. I've never really forgiven him, but never mind. Crystal Palace will be facing Everton, both of whom have won more FA Cup matches since the turn of the year than they have Premier League games. And you've also got Saints Man City. Saints who have drawn with the champions this season in the Premier League, both home and away. So smacks of an upset there, perhaps, on Monday. But anyway, first on that list, as I mentioned, was Nottingham Forest against Liverpool. Who's going along on Sunday? Matt Davis-Adams is. And he joins us now. Matt. Hi, James. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How excited are you? Pretty excited, I've got to be honest. Um, that'll probably disappear about five minutes into the game when, when we concede for the third time. But for now, looking forward to it. All right. Uh, Sasha was just saying kind of unkind things about Forrest. Very it's, unkind, yes. I did hear those and, and take note. Right. It's an old it's, tune, old tune. <laughs> well, and it goes back to the, the glory days. For, for people who haven't been keeping track of Forrest, uh, you spent many, much of your recent years as a kind of parable of mismanagement parading run the championship but now what kind of forest team will be facing Liverpool? Uh, a forest team which are probably the form team in the championship right now uh, came from behind to beat QPR 3-1 at the city ground on Wednesday night still can't quite break into the playoff places but mm. just the most incredible turnaround in, in mood of a football club that you could ever imagine from the from the sort of dank misery that was Chris Hewton's reign I remember being at the first home game of this season and the players getting booed off at half time. And given that was the first time supporters had been back in the ground after lockdown, <laughs> that was um, that was pretty rum. Um, but yeah, since then, the turnaround, absolutely incredible. And it's all, well, in large part, is thanks to, to Steve Cooper, um, for whom this is a particularly big weekend. You know, obviously facing Liverpool for any manager is good, but he was the former academy manager and under-18s coach at Liverpool. So he's got he's got a link with them too. Crikey. All right. So it's a uh, Nottingham Forest side that arrives with plenty of momentum, not least because they beat QPR on Wednesday night to stay one point off the playoff places in the Championship. Matt, a uh, couple promotion, which Wembley final would you like to be at most? Oh, promotion. That is absolutely not even a question. I said that when I was on the show after after we beat Leicester. Um, but I didn't think, you know, that we <laughs> that we would get this far, to be totally honest. I, I, right. I will take non-humiliation against Liverpool, a glorious defeat would do me but yeah it's all about promotion I mean the the thing is that, that uh. Forest have got a team at the moment which is which is full of players who aren't going to be there next year you know Brennan Johnson will probably be sold in the summer nearly went to Brentford in January Jed Spence who scored an unbelievable goal on Wednesday uh, who knows where he's going to be next season but it's not going to be Forest. same for Keenan Davis who's been excellent since he came in on loan at Villa and it won't be too long until Steve Cooper's due a spell at Watford so it really does have a kind of now or never <laughs> feel to it but Matt if you go up Surely mm. you can keep hold of a lot of these players because of the extra money from the Premier League. Yeah, that's Surely it. Kind of change it. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope so, Sasha. And that's why I'd say promotion over right. FA Cup because that is the only chance of retaining these players. I was led to believe Nottingham Forest fans were very committed to mentioning how many trophies they've won on a number of occasions. <laughs> so surely winning the FA Cup would, would be good. 
Yeah, that would be good. We haven't done it since 1959 when Elton John's uncle scored the winning goal and then broke his leg. So um, we are probably due. But yeah, I'd, we haven't been in the Premier League for more than 20 years. So I'd quite like a yeah, look back right. at that. Mm. Also, aren't Forest one of the handful of teams who haven't played at the new Wembley as well, aren't they? All right, Duncan. Yeah, yeah, we are. Just, um, you know, been nice. yeah, it's, yeah, so it's about time we did. And obviously we would get to do that if we beat Liverpool because the semis will be at Wembley. Mm. But let's be realistic. Forest are playing brilliantly at the moment. They're in fantastic form. There's a brilliant feel about the club, something that I, in a way that I haven't known for at least a decade, probably more than that. But they're coming up against one of the best teams in the world and have very little chance of beating them. Matt, if you weren't a Forest fan and thus being superstitious, how, how much chance would you really give Forest of springing a surprise? Oh, I don't know, maybe 20, 30%. I think it yeah. doesn't help Forrest that there's an international break straight after this. I think if, if Liverpool had a, a Premier League or Champions League game in midweek, you might see a bit more rotation. But I think they will probably play a strong team. And, and Forrest are without Steve Cook, who's been excellent since he came in from Bournemouth in January, and, and probably more significantly Max Lowe, who's um, a really kind of athletic left-back, a very, very kind of modern defender. And he'll be replaced by Jack Colback, who's a kind of jobbing central midfielder in the championship so him up against Trent is a, is a pretty scary prospect and and yeah that might be where it's won and lost but look the, the city ground has been a really really brilliant place to be over the last few weeks the atmosphere is stupendous and it will be on Sunday too so there's always a chance but it's not particularly likely I don't think brilliant Matt hope you enjoy it whatever happens and we'll speak to you soon <laughs> thanks James If anyone hasn't watched I Believe in Miracles, the film about Forrest in the late 70s, which obviously features Liverpool as well, given the European Cup tie, it's, it's on Netflix now and it's very good. There you go. Borough taking on Chelsea. Sporting Integrity's Chelsea FC. West London Blues. There you go. A repeat of the final from 25 years ago. As we mentioned, Borough, who have already picked up a a pair of Premier League scalps on their way to this quarterfinal, knocking out Man United and Spurs on the way. However, I read that they have lost their last eight meetings with Chelsea without scoring a goal. Do you, do you foresee a similar outcome this time around, Colin? Uh, well, Chelsea are obviously favourites, but Middlesbrough have won their last nine home games at the Riverside. Mm. And I think I said before the United uh, Cup tie, which obviously Middlesbrough progressed through, that Chris Wilder was the best manager outside the Premier League. And as uh, you know, it was referenced there that you know uh, they're, they're right in the mix for the playoff places in the Championship as well. So they're in a very similar position to Forest in terms of you know are they balancing the cup run of their of their league hopes? But I I think Middlesbrough could pull off an upset. I think it's the tie of the round. I think it's this this is probably if you had to choose one of those FA Cup matches to watch, mm. I think this is probably the one with the highest possibility of of an upset in the sense of what Middlesbrough did to United and Tottenham beforehand. Mm. Even though Thomas Tuchel's got the most insane record in cup competitions. Yes, even even with that, I, I do think this this could be a tricky one because just because Chelsea have have had such a a grueling run of games and and they have had whilst we said earlier they've had so many wins they've been a the lot of trip. unconvincing wins yeah. mm. and, and the games over Plymouth and Luton in the FA Cup were both um, scares for them really uh, they they could easily have have fallen to cup shots going into those games and Millsborough is maybe a bit of a step up in that sense so it could, could be interesting to see how it plays out. You could say it's not going to be plain sailing for Chelsea. Because they're going on a plane? Yeah. Okay. Or they could sail. You could say, actually, you could sail to Middlesbrough from. You'd have to take, take a boat down from the Thames. 
Yeah. That's a long trip, I'm thinking. Yeah, but the team, the bonding, the team spirit would be off the scale. Famously, the Italians took a similar approach. You know this story, surely. The um, Uruguay World Cup. Oh, yeah. Italy, having had its national side wiped out in the Superga air disaster, decided to head to South America for that World Cup by a cruise liner with kind of athletic preparations and that taking the form of jogs around the deck. Uh, when they got there, they were kind of summarily knocked out at the first available opportunity, but were then permitted to fly home because presumably by then <laughs> they weren't, weren't so important Forget about this now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there you go. Uh, Crystal Palace taking on Everton. Vieira against Lampard. Everton, of course, with one or two other issues on their plate right now. They are playing against Newcastle on Thursday, where defeat could further further heighten the sense that the unthinkable might yet happen to them. The other game is Southampton against Man City, which, yeah, it does twice so far this season. Saints have held City to a draw. City coming off that goalless affair at Selhurst Park. Might we see an upset here as well? I'm more looking at Palace Everton because yes. I think the reaction to Sunday's defeat at Everton, um, they feel like Everton fans and the whole team, they just feel absolutely broken. Uh, it feels like it flattened them completely. Uh, the manner of it, where they are now, I don't even, I mean, I don't know this Palace result. Would it make any difference at all uh, going into the international break because the situation in the league is so, so bleak. But I mean, I was living on Merseyside in the 90s where, you know, relegation scraps were fairly de rigueur uh, for Everton. And I don't remember them being sort of this depressed about this whole situation, um, about, you know, the makeup of the squad. At least, yeah, and I, I think as, may, as fans of most teams would have, they want their team to fight. And one thing that Everton fan teams in the 90s had, they had, they could scrap with absolutely anybody. With this team, the choice of players, um, it's... Seems to be like a very they could sleep away very very meekly, and also this game for me is sort of the Donny van de Beek derby because uh, from what I understood he could have gone to Palace, and I could not really understand him him going to Everton because for me the Palace structure is a lot more stable. He could play his football there rather than, you know, the sorry mess that Everton are in. You know, logically this should be an easy win for Palace uh, because they're the club that is actually heading in the right direction, whereas Everton are just falling to pieces. Wow, interesting. Well. Monday, Tony Football Show will round up winners and losers from an extremely intriguing set of FA Cup quarter finals. Also, in Monday's show, and also relating to quarter finals, we'll have uh, said round of the intertotally kicking off. What's the lineup? Well, listener, Duncan over there. Hello, Duncan. You're up against Lindsay Hooper. Sash, you're not up against anyone because you got knocked out by Flo Lloyd Hughes, who's now going to be. Taking on Daniel Storey, who did for Michael Cox. Crikey. Charlie Eccleshare takes on Dom Fifield, while Julian Laurence faces up to Benji Lanyardo. Colin, are you gagging for are you gagging for to, to qualify for this next time around? Well, yeah, well, I would be hopeful that the coefficient has maybe changed a little bit. Um, but it's 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 fun. It, it, it is fun um not being in the hot seat in terms is of it? you always you think you because because you're just so much more confident. There's so there's, there's the, the pressure's off when you're listening back and you think, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. And then whenever you're in the chair, though, it's just a different, it's just a different intensity, isn't it? It's um, it, it's where it really separates the uh, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Also, it can come back to haunt you as um, 
Uh, Matt Davis Adams was obviously talking today about Jack Colback, which was mm. one of the answers I couldn't get. Oh wow! <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. I, thanks, Matt. Okay. Well, not sure who we've got lined up for Monday's show. Do we know, producer Charlie, which quarterfinal it is? No, no. I'm not at liberty to reveal who, which of the quarterfinals will be coming up on Monday. But join us to find out. That though, I think, brings us to the end of today's exceptionally packed, totally football show. Many, many thanks to Colin Miller. Sasha Gurionov and Duncan Alexander, producer Charlie, and you, listener, thank you. Have a great weekend, why not? But make sure you're back with us Monday, and we'll see you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.